Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. This is our weekend edition, Just Ask the Press. And with us, as usual, is Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, and John Bennett, a an editor at will at CQ Roll Call and, and a hell of a columnist. I recommend you read his column. Today, we've got a couple of things to talk about. But of course, before we dissect the, you know, this is our weekly program where we get to dissect the news and the press. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's uh, you know, pay the bills. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And once again with us is Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, John Bennett, the uh, editor at large at CQ Roll Call. And we're going to talk, I'm going to, before we do that, I did, I'm going to announce this topper. It And Michael, you may appreciate it. Um, We were in, Mark Zaid and I were in federal court on Friday. We have sued the uh, DNI and and CIA for information on the supposed Havana syndrome. And the judge and the prosecutors, uh, the government representatives were the plaintiffs in the case in the civil case have come to an agreement. They do have a report coming out and they're going to have it done by October 19th and we'll share it with the rest of the world then. So a small, small victory in the world of, of trying to get information pried out of the government in a FOIA. So the tip of the hat to Mark and we'll see where that leads. But I want to start out today with, um, I guess, last night's, well, today we're going to see President uh, Joe Biden on 60 Minutes. And uh, I mean, I can guess we can talk a little bit about what that would be like, but or what that will be like. But last night, I believe it was, uh, Donald the Trump had a another rally. And to now in um, cozying up to QAnon supporters, it was in an unfilled arena, about half empty, I believe, as the picture showed. And um, uh, but they developed a rather unique swastika-like uh, uh, salute or Nazi salute. Uh, Michael, you you took a look at it. John, you've seen it. John, I'll start with you. <laughs> QAnon, does it get any better than this for Donald Trump? Wow. Um, <laughs> here we are. Uh, yeah. It. it- I don't know. That's if all that's left. Well, I think there are probably some, uh, you know, very conservative 
uh, Republican voters. He's probably got some some blue collar folks still with him. Uh, but you're right, uh, the QAnon crowd and those who believe such things and, and believe similar groups, they're probably still with him. Um, I think you and I uh, disagree on on his strength still in the party. And we can probably get to that uh, a little bit more. But it, it just feels like we were always going to end up here, doesn't it, uh, with Trump? standing on a stage and and these QAnon guys, uh, these right wing white supremacists doing a Heil Hitler salute. Um, and they've added an, an extended uh, finger. And, you know, there it's unclear because it's Trump. Most things are um, exactly what the finger means. Uh, some people think it simply means uh, uh, America first, which is his philosophy, for lack of a better term. Um, but, you know, it's QAnon, so it could mean any number of things, uh, but very eerie. I was reading a story here and, and they use that. That's how they set up their leader. Their story uh, said it's one of the, it's perhaps the eeriest scene. And, and there have been plenty of eerie scenes since Trump uh, became a politician. So yeah, very troubling. They've all been very, well, I, I want to ask you what you think we differ in, in, in his strength in the party. And we'll get to that in a second. But the other thing in, during that, um, during that wonderful, wonderful rally of his, he put all his grievances to audio. Now there's a, there's music behind him as he goes on about all the things that have gone wrong with the government, uh, striking fear into the hearts of those around him. It's just another, uh, I mean, it's all straight out of a fascist playbook, or at least, you know, uh, it, it's all out of a Hollywood playbook at the very least. And that's, that's about as deep as Trump ever gets. He probably saw it in a movie somewhere and liked it. Michael, what'd you think of it when you saw it? Well, it was scary to, to look at the picture of individuals at a rally uh, for a demagogue with their hand raised in salute and juxtaposed it to the 1930s rallies in the US um, saluting um, fascism. Wow. And so when you put the pictures side by side, they're a little bit uh, scary. They're reminiscent of some pretty bad things in our, our history. and. The fact that it is accepted by Trump as normal is another thing that I find a little bit terrifying, that he wouldn't recognize that this is a bad um, appearance and that he would ask that it not continue. But as all things Trump, he seems to relish in anything that's toward him. That's, that, that's right. That's an ad. Adulation, um, but that said, it's you know uh, uh, hopefully a, a fringe group. That QAnons are not you know a majority in even the MAGA part of the Republican Party. So one can only hope that, as you said, Brian, it's a half-filled arena, um, and that it's a reflection of. Um, waning popularity <laughs> yeah if you've got to rely on the q for help you in trouble uh john what do you think we disagree in in uh, his strength in the republican party well just uh in, yeah in a second um but yeah building on, building on something uh michael just said about adulation and trump remember the first time trump was asked about q uh was in one of those um seemingly never-ending covid briefings that he did in the briefing room yeah, I remember that. He, you know, he didn't, he, he, he at first pretended to not know who they were. And then in the next breath said, well, they like me, which I like a lot. So yeah, you know, it, it doesn't seem to matter 
what any of these groups um, stand for. Yeah, that, as long as they like they me. Like that's, them. Well, that's yeah. great. Yeah, they, they <laughs> like me, so I don't have a problem with them. It's um, that, I mean, that's just in the guy's DNA, and it. it I don't know if he can't get there. Um, as far as having that gear to say <laughs> white supremacy bad, or if he's just not willing to to distance himself from from a group that says money. Donald Trump good. It's all it's all about the money. If Donald Trump good, right. Donald Trump getting money, Donald Trump happy. There's a way to there's a way to bilk these people. Yeah, uh, I, I guess that's yeah that's part of the uh, um, part of his thinking there. He doesn't have any. I don't think he has any belief system at his disposal. Right. I think it, the, the only belief. belief system that Donald Trump has is how do I make money? That's how right. do I Clean. pay the bills? Like These people are giving me money. Sure. The violence. Oh, they're going to threaten violence even better. Maybe I'll get some more money and power that way. But right. at the end of the day, it's all about the money. Right. That's that's all Donald is. That's right. And your other question about uh, why I think and where I think we differ about Trump and the party. I'm just going off both of our columns uh, this week. You ended ah. yours. You ended yours. Uh, Salon.com. Uh, uh, Brian, also a great columnist. Um, <laughs> sure to thank click. you. Thank you. As I tell people, you don't have to read, but make sure you click. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, you said if Trump is indicted and or arrested, um, that that will be the final nail in his political coffin. Right. And I think um, I, I, I do agree with you that that his power is waning. He's not as powerful as he was six weeks ago or six months ago. I, I, we agree there. But I think I have a different take on what happens uh, if he's walked out of Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or Trump Tower, <clears throat> excuse me, in handcuffs or escorted out uh, by the FBI uh, into a waiting or probably into his Secret Service SUV. But he's yeah. not going to get in the back seat alone. There's probably going to be a special agent uh, riding shotgun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think if that happens, then he becomes a martyr in the party, at least temporarily, and and he'll actually become a little have get some of that sway back that it appears he lost because he and his supporters, the ones that are left, will be able to say, "Well, look what Joe Biden's Justice Department is doing. This is all about politics." Um, you know, even if even if the president took some documents he didn't mean to, and he's being treated unfairly. And this is, you know, Democrats, fascism, all the buzzwords will come out. And at least temporarily, I think he will become something of a martyr. I'm not sure what happens, you know, two months after the indictment. I'm not sure what happens two minutes after the indictment. Well, but yeah, I, that I, yeah, that's, I mean, well, he said, for all I know he could run butt ass naked to the, the, the underbrush as he's being indicted. Woohoo, woohoo. I mean, I could see him doing a daffy duck. But I think the reason why I think it'll be the end of him politically is I think after that is said and done, that I think the combination of the Dobbs decision and and any I, I just think at the end of the day, look, if you're already uh, appealing to QAnon supporters, that's your main group that's coming to see you at your rally. You're pretty well fucked. I think he's I, I do think he's done. Michael, you you. Well, I think to John's point, that which will be outcome determinative is assuming we're assuming hypothetically that there is a uh, criminal charges being brought. And I'm not sure that that will happen, but assuming we disagree on that, I do believe there will they will happen. But go ahead. So I, I remember that from last week. <laughs> the, um, but to John's point, assuming hypothetically that he is. Uh, charged with a crime and, and has to answer to the courts for it, whether he becomes 
a martyr, short term or long term, I think is determined by the nature of the charges brought. So that if, for example, he did keep evidence that relate to another country's nuclear secrets, and if in some way he was um, sharing that information, even if in a gossipy sort of way, uh, you know, to my to his friends at Mar-a-Lago, hey, look, what isn't this cool? I've got uh, you know, Iran nuclear. Uh, secrets here or the India nuclear program here, um, you know, in a, in a self-important sort of way. I think that is a much more difficult case for people to find martyrdom um, for. So you think it's t uh, contingent or, or dependent upon what the charges are against them if they're brought? I, I do. I mean, if it, if it is a um, case of just unlawful retention of classified documents, but no uh, leak of their contents, no sharing them purposefully, um, but really just a, as he would call it, just a, a storage issue. I think that's easier for him to say a, a victim of the Biden Justice Department than if there is... Um, yeah something more um, nefarious. Well know. thought out and logical, how dare you? Slightly. <laughs> I'm a victim of circumstance. <laughs> that's, that's probably how you'll play that off. You're right. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see what the charges are, if they yeah. are. Right. I'm a victim of circumstance and politics and click here to donate. Yes. Well, and, and as we said it this morning, I got a, while we just started, I got another email from Trump going, I've got a special new MAGA hat and it's got a gold crown on it in red. And just give me two hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about the money, folks. I, I want to move on to the special uh, master frolics that have occurred this week. And Michael, I'll uh, uh, turn to you first about it. I mean, they agreed on someone. Apparently, they picked a, a, a special master that both the government and Trump, it was someone offered by Trump, but the government agreed to it. And now they've come back and, sa uh, and said they want to continue. They've appealed part of the decision. Bring us up to date on that and where you think we are. Right. So going back in time, the Justice Department seizes documents, begins to search them um, with a filter team which filters out stuff which is privileged uh, from the investigative team, which will then investigate the case. Two weeks about after the uh, seizure of the documents, the Trump lawyers formally file in court a request that that filter process be stopped and that a third party, a so-called special master, be appointed to redo what Justice Department, what the FBI has already done and continue the inquiry because they said the Justice Department couldn't be trusted. The judge, uh, Cannon, agreed with the Trump lawyers that a special master was appropriate under the unusual circumstances of this case and appointed uh, a judge, a retired judge appointee by Reagan, I think, uh, Raymond Deary, his name is, he's um, 
a judge from the federal district court of the Eastern District of New York, um, Brooklyn, who has a lot of experience in national security matters. So a choice that the Justice Department did not oppose. They thought if they're going to appoint a special master, Judge Deary is a good um, judge to, to oversee this. They argued, however, that the special master is not needed and that the judge should stay her order, stop her order, appointing the special master and let the case proceed. She rejected the Justice Department's request again um, and as told the judge Deary, uh, special master judge Deary to try to wrap this up by uh, the end of November. And judge Deary has already asked the lawyers for Trump and the DOJ to send him a proposed agenda by this coming Monday um, and then to have an initial meeting about the uh, document review on Tuesday. So he's moving full speed ahead. But the Justice Department is still not happy with this whole outcome and they have appealed to the 11th Circuit, that's the Court of Appeals in the Florida area that oversees uh, this federal district court judge. And they have again asked that the judge's order be stayed in uh, two parts. Part one is to not have the special master review classified documents, about 100 documents. And second, to allow them to continue their investigation using those 100 or so classified documents. And uh, they said to the US Court of Appeals um, for the 11th Circuit that they will proceed with the special master per the judge's order as long as the 11th Circuit issues a stay of her order to allow the special master to review the classified documents and preventing them from continuing their investigation until the case is resolved. The one thing that we need to know, Brian, as well, is that the 11th Circuit, which I think has 11 judges on it, has uh, six Trump appointed judges on the Court of Appeals. So it's a conservative Court of Appeals. Now, the way the three judge panels, three judges hear the appeal, the way the three judge panel is supposed to work is you essentially spin a wheel and uh, when it stops, the names of the judges pop up and, and it's you know sort of without regard to politics, it's a um, random selection process. So if it's a random selection process, more or less, there's a 50-50 chance that you get a Trump appointee or not a Trump appointee. What I don't know is who are the remaining judges? Are they all W. Uh, Bush appointees? Are they uh, Obama appointees? We don't know. And oftentimes in criminal matters, politics uh, of conservative judges is more government friendly than less government friendly. Much, so, much more government friendly. Right. So as in all these things, it's it's a bit of a wait well, and see, and, and that's what we'll have to do. Meanwhile, the case is proceeding pursuant to Deary's order, and the appeal is pending. So here's here's a couple of things coming to mind. First of all, in my own uh, struggle against uh, Trump, when we sued him to keep my press pass, I don't think that necessarily just because they're Trump appointees, that it means that they'll find in Trump's behalf. In my case, the, the panel was uh, and I think it was led by a Trump appointee, and they overwhelmingly uh, sided with the First Amendment. And then when it went to after that, he appealed it again and went before the entire uh, um, 
circuit and then you know that was put out and and they all disagree so the next stop would then be the uh, supreme court and he backed off but i just don't think that necessarily i don't want to give people the idea that just because it's a trump appointee that it's necessarily going to go in trump's favor i think what you said is more more pointed is they usually find in the favor of you know the government they're usually more in favor of the people that are investigating so i i i don't know that it necessarily bodes poorly for the government, but also to the point of, uh, of, and I guess the bottom line doesn't all this, I, I spoke with a, a, a federal prosecutor the, uh, yesterday while I was waiting outside or Friday. Yeah. While I was waiting outside for our, our, uh, our, uh, our, our wonderful case in federal court. And, uh, I said, did, does this necessarily stall things for the government? And it, they said, bottom line, it's, it, it can be a, a PR victory for Donald Trump, but at the end, it matters very little with the charges and the things that they're looking at against Donald Trump. So I guess the the question is, does it is that the only real success story here for Donald? I mean, even if they if they get what they want, isn't it just a delay tactic? Well, primarily the conventional wisdom is that this was a delay tactic. But on the other hand, they do make a serious argument that under the extraordinary circumstances of this case, it would have been appropriate from the outset for the Justice Department to appoint a special master so that there's no appearances of right. conflict or politics. And so, you know, at, in the end, that which is most troublesome is the two issues that the Justice Department appealed, which is that the court here has told the executive branch that it can no longer investigate its case using the evidence that it acquired. That's problematic. And if that ruling were to hold, that will set precedent for all sorts of other defendants asking that right. their cases be stayed while um, the judiciary intervenes in the function, which is historically just the executive branch. So there's a separation of powers issue. And then, of course, there is the issue of the special master looking at these classified documents, which are implying, in some sense, that there is a, a privilege that the former president retains in these uh, documents, and that has been something that has been highly, highly contested. And so, again, it could, if it sets the precedent that the former president somehow retains um, more of a, a privilege to be asserted with respect to those documents, and then there are longer term implications. But to the point that your single prosecutor made is leaving those two important policy issues aside, the end of the day is if it goes forward as the special master uh, proceeds to inv investigate everything, then it's a two month delay and but the, the the downside for Trump, of course, is that if at the end of the special master review, the special master gives the Justice Department access to all of these documents, says that they were inappropriately held or some such thing, then Trump's own uh, strategy backfires yeah. <clears throat> because he no longer has, you know, the excuse that this is a corrupt, weaponized Justice Department. This is the process that he laid out uh, with the judge that he picked 
not not the appointed judge, Judge Cannon, who he, he did appoint, but with the special master judge. And right. the, the special master judge, pursuant to the policies, the procedures rather that he set, found, set forth, ruled against him. And that's so that's a big PR loss, loss. for him. Yeah, I'll, I'll give John, I'll give you the last before we go to break the last word on that. I will say that the other thing I was told is that all of the, the canon just doesn't want to make a decision has been passing the buck. That's the other thing I heard from, from prosecutors. John, I'll give you the last uh, last word on on the special master before we go to break. What do you think? I don't see how this PR wise uh, doesn't backfire on Trump. Um, you know, they, you'll be, everyone will be surprised that uh, the Donald and, and his people, I don't think played this out all the way. They were searching for a way, A, to delay and B, to kind of gum up the works um, and, and, and maybe somehow, uh, you know, PR wise, you know, it was a PR move, I thought, more than a legal move at first. Um, but as Michael just, just expertly laid out, um, I think it will ultimately PR-wise backfire. Um, you know, it, it just does, you know, he can still say um, uh, they should have named a special master at the start. But right. now he got his special master. Um, I thought that was pretty wise by the Justice Department to just say, okay, you want, you want this guy? Here you go, Donald. Yeah. Um, so You're the I, master I think, of your domain. Yeah, I think they've taken away an argument, uh, both legally and NPR-wise. And, um, you know, holiday another holiday with Donald as we head into Thanksgiving and Christmas <laughs> and the special master wrapping up their work. I can't that wait. sounds like an NBC special, holiday I mean, with Donald. <laughs> I mean, you know, here we go. Here we go. Everybody's going home for the holidays. We're out of COVID. You know, parents are, are older, and, and we, couldn't, we couldn't spend time with them. Um, Maybe we got down there last year, but but here everyone goes out to sit around the Thanksgiving or or, or Christmas or or what whatever you celebrate table, and um, CNN or Fox News is on, you know, off in the living room, and and here we go again. McDonald, happy holidays, everybody. Like, and on that note, we'll, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast. To help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with uh, Michael Zeldin, John Bennett, joining us for our weekend wrap up as we do every Sunday. And here's uh, moving on to the other one. Um, I want to cover two. Uh, issues real quickly I, I guess we could talk about the mysterious mark meadows whatever happened to mark but that's john you you think he's in a room somewhere screaming or singing oh man um a log cabin maybe in the north carolina mountains uh that might be where where mr meadows is 
uh, right now. You know, we've talked about it on the show. Um, you know, I, he was never a source of mine, but I definitely had colleagues um, at Roll Call and other places uh, who would text Mark Meadows all the time, both when he was a congressman and when he was chief of staff in, in the Trump White House. Uh, this guy was accessible. He was no easily stranger. accessible. Yeah. Yeah, no stranger to television. No he was a whore for TV. <laughs> oh, there you go. And yeah, and now he is the opposite. You know, he's got a chastity belt on. Uh, yeah. Public, as far as public appearances, um, he very well could be cooperating. Uh, yeah, the speculation as, is that he is, but we'll yeah. have to wait and see. I and just mention it because I always like to bring up Mark Meadows because he was such a, a media whore when he was, when he was right. there. And we Meadows can't watch. find him anywhere now. But yeah, I, and I, I still think what we've said here before, um, I, I think he's probably trying to figure out a way to give Trump cover and not give everything up on the boss while also saving his own uh, ass. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about and, and is the big problems, the Donald Trump coming out and threatening the world, big problems if he was arrested. We've got, <laughs> and these all relate to the press. I'll, I'll be honest with you. That, you know, why do we give him that well you kind of have to report on it but bill gates wanting a sex, sex trafficking pardon all these things were in the press this week um the broadcasting of threats uh we've had the queen 24 7 wall-to-wall coverage uh the mysterious mr meadows and an embarrassment in the briefing room this week that i'll touch on briefly and that was uh someone coming up and and um basically asking John Kirby if he was a beard for uh, Kareen in the briefing room. And it was probably one of the most embarrassing events. And I mention all of this because uh, we talk a little bit about here about how the press has covered things. And I, <clears throat> I talked to John Kirby afterwards um, after this event, and he said, it just makes it harder for me to get back into the briefing room. Um, and John Kirby is needed in the briefing room to br brief us on matters of national security and what he said about, you know, we're here to help provide you the best information. Nobody ever accused uh, anyone of being a beard for the press secretary when we had the same thing happen under any other president, including Donald Trump. It's simply a matter of how business is done. We want to get the best information. They want to give it to us. But when I talk about that, and I did talk to Simon, the reporter in question afterwards, I said, you, you just made it harder to get your job done. Because even if they thought, uh, there was a problem. They're going to double down. I spoke with others in the WHCA who have had problems with this uh, administration and have had, you know, like toe-to-toe -to -toe clashes with Ron Klain, the chief of staff, who is the architect of the press um, relations, you know, with the press from the administration. All of it just shows me again um, that when there's stuff really going on, the the uh, it's Donald Trump who's taking up the oxygen. And the Biden administration, which isn't, and as we've seen this week, we you know straight out of a scene from the West Wing. I mean, stopping a a, a, a you know making the railway deal and stopping a, a huge problem that could have occurred and hurt the uh, uh, economy. And when they come out <clears throat> and do some really off-putting things, like have a, a a celebration on the South Lawn with thousands of people to celebrate reduction in the economy, you know, the problems of inflation, and there's you know, been no reduction in inflation. So um, we've got a combination all to say, long-winded, all to say that we have a problem with, uh, with the press coverage of this administration and continuing to uh, 
bring problems in covering the past administration. John, I'll leave it at your doorstep first. How do you think we're doing in covering all this stuff from Matt Gates to the embarrassing moment in the briefing room? Not very well. Um, you know, especially our friends on cable um, and, and print too, this this wall-to-wall coverage of, of the Queen's death and, and King Charles taking the throne and, you know, some of the intrigue with the royal family, I'm not saying don't cover it. It's, it is news. Uh, people right. cared about the Queen. You know, Charles has been on the stage his entire life. Um, it just feels just like such an overt um, um, and cheap way uh, to get ratings to make money. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think inside the 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 executive suites of of CNN or or, or MSNBC or or even Fox, they they've covered the Queen quite a bit too. You know, I don't think anyone's thinking anything other than we have to cover this because it'll get eyeballs. And meantime, right. and and meantime, here's Joe Biden. Um, trying to head off a huge economic um, calamity that would have been if, if there had been a rail strike. You know, it, it goes from a port to a train to a truck to the store. Right. And you take any piece of that out of there and boy, we got bigger problems than we already have with the economy. Um, so, you know, we've got, we've got the queen, um, you know, God rest her soul, rest in peace. Um, but her casket is just literally sitting on a slab and people are walking by it. And you've got, you've got, you've got folks on cable news just talking breathlessly um, about yeah. this. And meantime, the U S economy is careening toward, toward even uh, worse shape than it's in. So no, we haven't done a great job uh, of covering this. Um, you know, I thought we did a decent job covering the, the possible rail strike. That was something that, right was bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And then it seemed like it was here. Um, and I, and I, especially in print, I thought print outlets really jumped on that. They looked at it very nuanced. They took it seriously. Uh, we got inside the administration for once, a couple outlets. I saw some reporting on, on how they did it. They got everybody in the room. They sent them over to uh, the labor department. They sat down with, with Marty Walsh and, um, and they got it done. And you're right, it's right out of the West Wing. And, and that was a big win. And Biden could not afford to have this happen on his watch. He's the labor union president. He talks about labor right. as much as he talks about anything uh, in his public remarks. He goes and, 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 and speaks before labor unions. So, you know, he'll go speak before a firefighters union and, and well, talk uh, about teachers and pipe fitters. Yeah. So he and he's the Amtrak president. He used to take yes. Amtrak back to Delaware when he was a senator. So he couldn't have this and they got it done. Um, but, uh oh, the queen is, is in a hearse. So let's go live to Edinburgh. What'd you As, think of what happened Friday in the briefing room? Yeah, I wanted to get to that too. Um, you know, we both spent a lot of time in that room, you more than me. Um, but I did cover defense for a very long time. And, uh, I know Kirby is Admiral Kirby, Captain Kirby. Um, I, right. I worked with him. God, I can't believe, uh, 20 years off and on. John Kirby is not the one to, to attack like that. And that's what it was. And, you know, you know, Simon had his reasons and I, and I'm sure he has talked to reporters of color, black reporters. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they, they feel exactly like he described in his question uh, of John and, and, but 
but that's that's not why John's there. It has nothing to do that that Corinne Jean Pierre uh, is the first black woman press secretary. Um, it's not about that. And and he's there. Like Mark Pottinger would come out and talk to us. Yes. Um, he he came out a lot and talked to us about foreign policy during the Trump years. And Mark's very good. And John's very good. They're there to help us and by extension inform the public. Yeah, and, I think it bottom line hurts the press that guy type. Right. And I, I say this, and I know a lot of my defense reporter colleagues agree with me. John Kirby is one of the best. And you yes. know, he may be the best ever Pentagon press secretary. He's professional. He's a he 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 he's he's a good faith actor, as they say. He doesn't screw you, he doesn't burn you, no. uh, he doesn't tell you anything that he shouldn't, and he doesn't he doesn't lead you on, he doesn't lead you to believe anything. He's just a pros pro, and that's not the guy you go after. And and but and I don't I don't really talk to Corinne that much. I don't interact with her, but I think she admitted that she needed Kirby to come and talk about foreign policy. She admitted that was a weak spot. Well, um, and, and, and the bottom line is that's thank you know thank yeah. I, I thank you for not bullshitting me. I thank right. you for bringing somebody in who knows the That's information. Right. I, I, right. I, that that to me is a good press secretary. Look, I'm a little weak here. This guy knows his shit. Right. Let's bring him out to talk about it. Michael, right. from the outside, let me ask you from the outside, what does it look like? Well, for me, knowing Kirby from you know the CNN green room and yeah, me too. <laughs> a communication um, with him ever since. Um, He's as good as they come, and I would think that it um, is testament to the White House that they're going to bring the best person to inform the press about what's going on as is available. I don't think it's a slight to the others in the White House communications operations. They've they brought another one of their team members. It's you know, if Mickey Mantle is injured, um, but he's able to here we go. Um, Come on, no, he's off. Able to come on. I'll, do, I'll take it out of the Yankees. No, right. no, I like the Yankees. Go ahead. No, no, no. So <laughs> if Kirk, if if Kirk Gibson is injured, is able to come off the bench and pinch hit, yeah, and, and he hits that famous um, home run. Would one say, well, this is a slight to the former player uh, no. who was who was re removed in favor of Gibson? I think the answer is no. Of course not. Unless you bring it's Wally in the you bring in the expert that is best able to communicate that which you need to. And as, as you both have said, we used to see this all the time in foreign affairs where the, the person who was the Pentagon spokesperson would lead the um, discussion about what was going on because these are highly nuanced areas of um, expertise and why not have the best present uh, for that? Uh, it makes no sense to me. I think it's, I think it, I think it's too inside the beltway politics for for from for I agree with that for many but for what I think that the the public needs to know is that it makes it very much more difficult when they scream you know when Trump screams enemy of the people or when they say you know they they think we're we're too far right or too far left part of the problem is is this we're we are part of the problem and it has nothing to do with far right or far left I think it's just incompetency but that's just me. That's I, I do want to ask um, about Gates before we go forward. We had 
um, and its reflection. I mean, the fact that you would ask for a part, a very specific pardon um, by Matt Gates reportedly was asked for. Michael, does that portend well for Matt Gates? Not from a PR standpoint, but <clears throat> I, I think that we have to be very careful to not conclude that because he asked for a pardon, that he's guilty admission, of anything. That's an admission of guilt. Yeah. You know, Matt Gates could fairly be of the mind that he's a recognize that he's a lightning rod mm -hmm. and recognizing that he may therefore be, um, a, a, you know, sort of a person who, if indicted, would be a feather in someone's cap. He might say, look, can you please spare me of what is going to be two years of, of witch hunting of, uh, for conduct that is not criminal? So just can you spare me having to go through that process? I don't admit any guilt. I did not do anything wrong. I know I'm going to be the victim of two years of uh, intense witch hunting sort of investigation. So can you spare me of that? That could just as well been uh, his mindset as him saying, can you please pardon me for the crime of whatever it is, sex trafficking or whatever it is that he's alleged to have um, engaged in um, because I'm going to be convicted and I don't want to be. So, I mean, it could be either of those two things. All I'm saying, I guess, Brian, is that it's not a good look. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> but, but, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't imply um, some guilty state of mind, which I've heard a lot of legal commentators. Right. Uh, yes. Who, who asks for pardon, but for You're not guilty. <laughs> yes. And right. I just don't, I just don't accept that there are other reasons to ask for pardons other than admissions of guilt. I agree with that. But the, the appearance being reality in this day and age, John, doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, pardon me for sex trafficking of an underaged minority. That's the report. Um, no, that's, that's, that is not a good look. Uh, oddly, though, in this uh, Alice in Wonderland Republican Party, uh, it may make it easier to raise money to be So that's where we are. Happy 2022, everybody. If you reach out to the right folk, you can get money. That's Donald Maybe, Trump has taught you right. that. Maybe you reach out to some of the same people who were extending their arms and fingers last night at the Trump rally. <laughs> yeah. well, and I'm sure Matt Gates is using, I, 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 we know that he is using yeah. this investigation yeah. as a, as a, fundraising vehicle that he is a victim um but you know again he could well believe that he he is a victim of a weaponized justice department and though he's done nothing wrong no i know for a fact that's the, not the he, case well, i know I, I, matt gates i will say i'll interject running into him several times in the white house he knows damn well he, he's he's well acquainted with reality and I think he's as a junior con man to Donald Trump's senior con man status. I think I think he's mentoring under Trump. I'll just say that. Now, this specific accusation, I cannot say. I wasn't with him when he was courting young women. So I cannot say for a fact what happened. But I, I will say that I don't think Matt Gates makes any decision uh, based on that. I think he makes a 
most of his decisions based on how he can build the, the people for money. Well, if that's, that's the case, right. it doesn't imply criminal. No, yeah, no, right. it does not. Right. It does not. You're absolutely right. John? No, I was going to say, you said Matt Gates doesn't make any decision, except how could he build people? Well, who does that sound like? Yeah, right, Donald. I, like Burn I said, I, I, I remember running into him in the White House one time, and and uh, I, I asked him actually to appear on this on, on this podcast, and he said, "Well, I can't do that." And then I said, "Why is that?" And he goes, "Because you're going to ask me some tough questions I can't answer." And I'm going, "Yeah." <laughs> so I, I think he uh, he's he's learned well from the Donald. Although uh, Matt, you know the it, uh, the invitation is still extended if you're listening. You you can come on anytime and and talk to us about anything you want. <laughs> is that your phone I hear ringing, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 to put a bow on all of this, we started out the discussion about um, uh, the press. And, and I guess at the end of the day, are we, I take what Simon did, I take uh, the coverage of the queen, I take, um, the lack of coverage of the mysterious Mr. Meadows, the over coverage of Donald Trump, the under coverage of, of Joe Biden, which we can also ascribe to his own uh, communication staff for being really poor at, at, at communicating. But all that aside, um, it doesn't look like the last two weeks have been, I, I guess, uh, stellar examples of press coverage. John? No. Uh, <laughs> Friday's uh, Friday's incident in the briefing room for me just um, it it underscores that we we haven't zeroed in on on what I would say what matters. Um, I'm I'm concerned about the briefing room uh, because that happened. That says something that 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 happened. Um, we're also losing you know more good people. Um, you know, Caitlin Collins uh, is now moving to. Uh, CNN's morning sh the new revamp morning show. Uh, congratulations to her. I think Caitlin does a really good job. She works extremely hard. She knows her subject matter. She has good sources and she asks good questions in that room. And she asks good questions, you know, when, um, uh, when she's interviewing folks on air, uh, she gives a lot of context on air. She explains things. And, and, you know, now we're losing more talent out of, out of that room, uh, a room that's not that critical of, of the Biden administration right now, there's a handful of folks um, asking the kinds of questions that Caitlin asks. Um, so, you know, just, I, I, I think that um, that coverage of this administration is, is not as critical as it could be. And um, I think it's horrible. Yeah. It's not as critical as it could be. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I, I worry that, that the access game is, is one that we're losing. And when you are trying to play the access game, you know, you're not going to ask uh, some of the questions that, that you might uh, need to be asking. So I think you need to ask them harder if you're not having yeah. access, but we don't, and we don't press this administration nearly enough. I, I pointed that out the column that I wrote this week, got people pissed off on the right and left, but I find that the uh, Biden administration has been extremely uh, protective of its, um, of the president and providing accesses only to the pool and it's limited. And so they've got them jumping through hoops to get limited access while the rest right. of us are on the outside uh, staring in. And that is part of the problem. And let's not, I don't want to short shrift. I, I gave, I told Simon what I thought he did that was wrong. I talked to him 
uh, personally and privately about it, but that is spurred on by the fact that we have such little access to this president. If we had more, I think it'd be that type of question would not uh, would not raise its head. Right. And I, not to monopolize this, but that there's one one reason that should not have happened Friday. Number one, Simon shouldn't have gone there. If he wanted to have that conversation with Brandon and John, he could have he could have gotten an appointment and sat down with them in private right. and raised his concerns and they could have explained their side. That should have been handled uh, behind closed doors. And that's his right to, to ask for that meeting. And, and it's his right to feel that way. And the folks that that had raised concerns, but that needed to take place uh, in, a, in a private yeah. meeting. But here's why it, sh- it, it didn't need to happen Friday, because there, there shouldn't have been a briefing Friday. The, the South African leader was meeting with, with Biden. It should have been a bilat. There was a pool spray in the Oval. Um, a Biden ignored shouted questions as they were being uh, 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 told to leave the Oval Office. There should have been a joint press conference after that meeting with the South African leader and Biden should have taken questions from the press, not Corinne and, and not Kirby on Friday. It should have been the president himself. And I'll say it again. Maybe Corinne, you're listening. Maybe Ron Klain, you're listening. He's good at it. He was He's a better than forever. they are. You he- know, right. He might, you know, he might go off script a little bit, but you're big boys and girls. And you've been doing this a long time. You can, you can deal with it. You can clarify what he said, but for the most part, He's right. He's better at answering questions because he's done it for 50 years in hallways on Capitol Hill. And we've both been in those scrums. Absolutely. He's better at it than you are. Let free Joe hashtag free Joe. Let him, <laughs> hashtag free Joe. Let him take some questions once in a while. And Michael, and this not, sounds all incredibly. Uh, uh, and not while, I'm sorry. And not while that damn helicopter is idling or <laughs> Air Force One is idling. You know, do it in the East Room, do it in the Rose Garden. Or have him come to the briefing room. If only there was a room where he could. Where it's talk. already set up, where he could That's walk like in. Twenty-seven steps from the Oval Office. Yeah. Oh, wait, there is. There is. That's and if only you would have as many press conferences on American soil as you've had on foreign soil. You've right. had three times as many. You've had two in the White House and six or seven off, you know, in other countries. But to Michael's point, does it sound all incredibly like inside baseball that nobody cares about? Oh, I'm sorry. Are you guys still talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I, I said, I tuned, I, I tuned out. I'm sorry. What, are, what, what, what are we talking about? Some, some dust up in the White House briefing room with people uh, that no one knows anything about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good point. No, that's. Wow. I'll take that point. <laughs> and it was delivered sarcastically and humorously, which well I enjoy even more. Yeah, well done. But to your point, it's that's people don't understand that how it affects what it is that they see, read, or hear. Yeah. Um, but I'm here to tell you that it it affects it greatly. We'll oh, take yeah. another short break, and when we come back, it's not just App State we're going to talk about. But oh. st- <laughs> stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, 
Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. We woke Michael Zeldin up because we were talking inside baseball for too long. And, and John Bennett from CQ Roll Call. One of the things that uh, I do want to talk about before we go to App State is uh, the Trump firm turning you over documents. Michael, does that, how does that, what, what does it mean for those who don't understand? I've heard three or four different explanations of what's going on. Could you tell us definitively what it means for the Trump firm turning over those documents. So Mazers, if this is what we're talking about, yes. has been the long-term accounting firm of Trump, who uh, a year or two ago cut ties with him, um, had been subpoenaed for documents, uh, his financial dealings. And after years of litigation, an accommodation was where, where the courts uniformly held that Trump had to turn these documents over. The Trump org had to turn these documents over. Um, the House Oversight Committee and the, the Trump lawyers reached an agreement that Mazers, the accounting firm, will be allowed to turn over to the House Oversight Committee uh, documents. And they have just begun to just deliver them. I think they uh, just this week delivered their first um trove of, of documents. And what's in these documents is not yet known and may not be known, um, but they relate to the dealings of the Trump organization with respect to a whole host of allegations that involve conflicts of interest, uh, inadequate financial disclosure, violations of the emoluments clause, sort of a self-dealing um, clause, and um, we'll see what they have to say. Michael Cohen, Trump's former uh, attorney, testified um, before the, the committee in 2019 that the statements falsely represented Trump's assets and liabilities and that he inflated assets and deflated um, um, his debts and that he made misrepresentations to banks and tax authorities. And so we'll see if there's evidence in those documents to support Cohen, uh, Cohen's allegations. And if there are, those documents well could be turned over to the Justice Department and that could breathe new life into the New York Attorney General, New York District Attorney's, Manhattan District Attorney's uh, investigation of the Trump Organization. So it's a bit of a tipping point, but as we've said, with respect to all document cases, what's in the documents determines the outcome. And right. we just don't know what's in these documents. We just only know is that tranches of documents have been sent and many more are expected. And then the committees will review their contents and make determinations about what they mean, both as a political matter do we need to change the law so that presidential candidates must submit their tax returns or that they must 
do other things to protect against uh, appearances or actual conflicts of interest? Or do they, in addition, create criminal liability because of other um, false and fraudulent behavior? So we'll I know Michael Cohen is all for, you know, the disclosure and thinks it, but doesn't think that there's going to be anything turned over in the end that, that I, well, I'll have to talk to him again and clear it up. But at, at the end of the, the game, I think what you're saying um, that it bears repeating is this could end up giving new life to the Manhattan district attorney's investigation. Yes, that's right. Well, because, because Michael Cohen is not a witness upon whom a case can be built without a whole lot of corroboration and corroboration best in the form of documentation of what he alleges. And so if this, if this supports his allegations, then it's you know a stronger case. Uh, if it doesn't, or if it's neutral, then they're still you know in a situation with Cohen as their witness and um, nobody else, and no one's going to bring a case. You know, I don't Based mean to slight to Michael Cohen. You know I don't know him. He may be a swell guy, but as a witness in your case, a convicted um, liar liar is not your strongest witness. No, that compromises nobody. No prosecutor likes to do that. <laughs> without corroboration of yeah, what I mean, corroboration. You, prosecutors will say all the time that I don't have, you know, priests and nuns and rabbis as my witnesses because my this defendant didn't hang out with those types. Right. But we can with these, you know, bad sort of ethical witnesses. Um, tell you that they're telling you the truth this time because we have the paper to support it. Right. John, what do you think? You think it, it'll breathe life in, or at least it's going to at least breathe life into more stories about Donald Trump in, in Manhattan. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think it's ever a good thing when uh, you're giving those kind of documents uh, to prosecutors at the state or, or federal level. Um, you know, we don't know a lot about the Trump organization finances somehow after all these years. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, sometimes these documents have a way of uh, finding their way uh, into the press. So, uh, you know, I'm sure I can think of a handful of investigative reporters who may be on the phone or texting right now with sources trying to, to get their hands on those. Uh, I'm looking at one right now on my screen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think we could learn a lot, even if, if no charges come of this, um, we, we could get to see a little bit more about how Donald goes about managing his businesses and, and paying for things or not paying for things. Um, and and that, that does have political ramifications. And if, if, these geo, if some of these Republican presidential uh, would-be hopefuls are going to run, regardless of what Donald does, well, they also have motivation to, to find out what might be in those documents, they're going to have to use something against the guy if they're going to run seriously against him instead of just trying to introduce themselves to a broader audience for 2028, which some of them may run in the primary just to do that and never really land a real blow on Donald um, and then bow out gracefully and throw their support behind him. Um, so yeah, th these documents could 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 have a big effect on, on not just the case but but politics yeah the court of pol the court the 
court of public opinion, right. the last court. Then that's uh, that's why I keep saying I know that those disagree with me, but I just I really don't think that Donald Trump in November of 2024 is going to be on the ballot for the general election. Well, for I, for whatever reason, um, and I think this all adds. All of this is a mounting series of information that people are using. And as you can see, to go back where we started, at the end of the day, if two years out from uh, the general election, you're appearing in a half-filled arena with QAnon supporters, you have problems. And whether or not that's um, apparent to the, uh, the general public, I'm sure it is apparent to those that left inside the Republican Party, um, and there are very few of those left inside the Republican Party who are not Trump supporters. Right. But for those who are, who are the Liz Cheney's of the world, it's it's it, it's an indication of where the Republican Party can or might go uh, post Donald Trump. Yeah. So. Sure. Absolutely. Yep. That, and then, no, Michael, we have to now we're going to break for that most important uh, issue of the <laughs> and I saw it, the Hail Mary pass <laughs> for App State. But actually, it's John who's the App State guy. <laughs> so, so, John, what'd you think? Oh, um, well, <laughs> shout out. Shout out to my wife who didn't uh, mind too much by jumping around the living room as uh as uh, Mr. Horn rounded the corner and and scored the game-winning touchdown, well, it was it was a very very emotional day around here. Very uh, very <laughs> long day. App State went to Texas A&M last week. We talked about and pulled the upset in College Station. ESPN's College Game Day was supposed, first time was supposed to go to College Station. Texas A&M last night defeated Miami, two ranked teams. That that was going to be a marquee matchup until the Mountaineers showed up. And, and ruin the plans. So game day has considered us before, but they've never come to Boone. And they decided, well, these guys have finally earned it. You know, they beat Michigan. They beat North Carolina. They beat South Carolina. They've hung in with Tennessee, Penn State. I could go on. Um, and they pulled another uh, – uh, Texas A&M was ranked six last week. So they decided, let's go to Boone. And it was a huge deal following it on social. I had some friends who went – college friends who, who went up the mountain for game day. And it was, it was just great. It was um, – it was just fine. national recognition. Big crowds showed up. It was just a great three hours. And, and the game day crew, they're all pros. And, and they appreciated the enthusiasm and the, and the, the, the strong culture uh, for the football program. And the football program is as solid as any in the country. Anyway, then we get to the game. Uh, classic trap game against a conference foe. And Troy is no slouch. They beat LSU in Baton Rouge. Uh, Baton Rouge, I think last year, the year before. So Troy can play. They've right. got athletes and they've got big boys up front and they get after your ass and they hit hard and, and they get after the quarterback. That's another solid program. And so it was a classic trap game and it was working out just that way. Uh, App State uh, played well early and, and, and for whatever reason, we do this sometimes. Troy took the lead uh, with just, uh, just a little while to go there and um, – uh, we got the ball back. I'm not sh Troy made an, a, a very interesting decision. We had back that we had gone for it um, near and the end. Zone, yeah. And, and Troy decided instead of punting, 
back to us with maybe 45 seconds left um, that they were going to take a safety and then do a free kick to back us up. Well, that didn't work out. That, that, that was a, a, just a, a boneheaded decision by their head coach. And, you know, we got the free kick, returned it. Anyway, two seconds left, one play to go. Here we go. And, you know, we had a play, people can Google it, called the Miracle on the Mountain uh, a number of years ago. Well, this was Miracle on the Mountain Part 2. Chase Bryce, former Clemson ah. quarterback, now our quarterback, heaves one down to about the seven-yard line. And there were two Troy defenders, but one of our guys got in the middle and tipped the ball straight up. And Coach Clark said after the game that they practiced that every Thursday and Friday. And he tipped the ball up and uh, wide receiver, uh, first name escapes me, Horn, uh, catches the ball, rounds the corner, gets a great block from his teammate, another wide receiver, just got in this guy's grill and drove him out of the way and scored a touchdown. And it was, abs- it was pandemonium in my living room. It was also pandemonium uh, in Boone uh, with one of the greatest uh, field – they charged the field, one of the greatest field charges you will ever see. And uh, just a great day. And these guys, you and know, I'm going to interrupt you here to say, "Hey, Michael, he looks he looks <laughs> very happy about this, doesn't he?" <laughs> well, I I, I watched the uh, I replay. <laughs> I watched the replay of it, and you know, like Doug Flutie's um, immaculate um, reception, or or the Pittsburgh Steelers' immaculate reception. All these immaculate hail mary um, plays yeah. are so exciting to watch. I had no skin in the game except of course i'm rooting for whoever john roots for but <laughs> i um i thought it was it was just it was fun to watch and it was more fun because it was in their home stadium and it was great yeah. to it's like when i go to a baseball game and i'm at a visiting field team and i'm rooting for the visitor and the the visitor wins and i see i look around the audience and i see you know little kids with tears in their eyes because their home home team lost. And I always think maybe I should just be rooting for the home team for all the little <laughs> kids who perhaps gone to their first game and now have these, these teary eyes. So when the home team wins, especially on a play like that, you know, you think there are a lot of people that are, are happy and probably children will be born in the future from it. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this just to wrap this up is uh, ESPN's Matt Barry, who does a great job. He's kind of their lead anchor for college Wait a football. Minute. John, before you do that, you just have to understand what Michael just endorsed was, was happy sex after a ball game. But I'm just, I mean, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Celebratory <laughs> sex after the ball the game, phone, but... making more children. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, that probably did occur. Uh, <laughs> Uh, three games so far this season decided by a total of nine points. Uh, each one went down uh, to the very end. And um, I don't know how much more I can take of this. We call, the, <laughs> we call them the cardiac apps for a reason. We seem to, to do this on a frequent basis. I met Barry and ESPN on college football final this morning. I uh, said App State is the darling of college football. That makes me nervous because when <laughs> Brian, you played, I played. Yeah. Uh, when you're the darling of anything, at any level of football, when you're the darling of your conference, if you live like like I did in a rural North Carolina conference, or the darling in, in college football or the NFL, that comes with a big bullseye on your back. Yes, it does. It, it and, does and indeed. People get up to play you 
bad teams suddenly play better. Everybody wants a shot. A piece at of the darling. And <laughs> we love say, to build and, up our heroes and then right. tear them down. And now coming in next week is James Madison. That's not good. That's an old rival. And those two, Ab State and James Madison, have gone down to the final horn too many times for this heart. Does I don't even want to think about it. Well, so I just hope next week we're not talking about App State because the Mountaineers took care of business <laughs> by halftime and we can all and maybe sit back and relax in the second half, but I doubt it. Well, I'll end the broadcast today with two notes on that one. I heard what the coach said about how they, you know, drew the play up and practice it every Thursday or Friday. BS. I don't care how many times <laughs> you draw that play up. I don't care how many. It didn't happen the way that that was a right. fortuitous series of events. One and, in a million. And, yeah, and, and I'm sorry, as a coach, I call <laughs> bullshit on that one. And secondly, well, I hope they win. It. I hope the home team wins. So, in, in Michael's uh, words, there's a lot of happy uh, baby making sex afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys being with us again, and it's. Uh, just ask the question in our Sunday edition. Just ask the press. Thanks for being with us, and we'll catch you next time.